Welcome to the God-Centered Recovery Podcast brought to you by Narrowgate Ministries. This podcast is dedicated to giving you a God-centered approach to recovery and to life. Follow along. Let's get started. Welcome everybody to the God-Centered Recovery Podcast. Glad to be back at you again. Uh, I'm here with acquaintance. We met on Facebook and uh, I think we're even connected on Instagram, but his name is Cody Oak. What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well, brother. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Not too bad. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What's going on in your life right now um, as far as uh, your family, what's your mission, your passion, stuff like that? Two kids, Jason and Riley. Jason's 10. Riley's 13. That's crazy to say. <laughs> um, and uh, today really focusing on uh, on my mission that God's God's put on my heart since my recovery journey began. Um, almost four and a half years ago, and we can we can dive into that through conversation. But um, just getting rolling with the, the nonprofit that I'm getting started up, and focusing on giving back to my community here in Arizona. Okay, um, addiction and and drug use and uh, everything that that comes along with it is just really prevalent in, in the community that I grew up, which is just 15 minutes down the road from where I live. Wow. Um, and, and really excited to get going on that. What what's the name of the nonprofit you're creating? Uh, Addicted to Alive. Addicted to Alive. Okay. And is it like? Um, tell me a little about like the vision for it. what is it going to be? So really, it's it's just me right now coming along, t- trying to come alongside these struggling people in in my community. A lot of people that I grew up and went to school with are caught up in some of the same things that that I was struggling with. Um, I have some that, that want to partner along with me that have similar visions to get in and just really help our, our community recover, um, where we grew up here in Arizona. It's a, it's kind of a central drug hub for, yeah. for a lot of cartel activity and, and other things that are going on. Um, and it's just, it's a community that I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago and he said it best. It's, it's a place that'll chew you up and doesn't even give you the grace to spit you out. It just keeps chewing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is funny. There's a lot of places in the world like that. Uh, I know my wife grew up in, um, in Washington and it was called Longview, but there's really nothing to do there except for drugs yeah. and alcohol. And it's just, there's certain cities that you roll into and it's just like, there's just this, presence and gloom just over in addiction is just rampant brother it's crazy yeah so where yeah. does your passion come from like what, what makes you so passionate about this so i mean truly it, it, it's from nowhere else other than god man it's from the beginning of my recovery journey i entered into a relationship with my my mentor um and after a couple of weeks of talking with him i i had a dream one night that I was just on this on this stage and I was sharing my testimony with with thousands of people um, and that was not for me at all that's not anywhere in my my character I'm a very shy timid uh, person especially with, with my background and how I grew up um, that, that just wasn't from me at all and I went into a meeting with with my mentor that next morning and I shared that vision with him. It's like, man, that's, that can only be from God. Um, right. And it's just grown over that, out of that over the last four plus years. Um, I've 
I've had the opportunity so far to share with, I mean, I, I can't count the number of people that I've shared my testimony with from different Celebrate Recovery groups to our yearly men's retreat that we have to our church. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, God's bringing that vision of fruition. And, That's awesome, and brother. Really, he's just so saying awesome. it's it, it, it's it's time for it to go big. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, doing uh, this podcast and in doing many others, um, it's there's something about it that's exponential. You know what I mean? Where you can talk to one or two people, but then um, you know, social media and online, you could reach thousands of people with your message. It's it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and you know that honestly our, our reach is so much more than we'll ever see because i mean those that we that we directly share our testimony with we get to see that fruit but but they take little bits of our stories and carry them on and they say hey i, I talked to this guy that's dealt with something similar that you are and here's how he dealt with it yeah you know it just it just continues to carry on and, and we don't see the fruit of of yeah. a lot of the sharing that we do but yeah it, it just carries on so, you know, at this pre- present moment, you're, you know, you know, you're passionate, you're on fire, you've got a connection, a relationship with God, you got this vision for ministry and a passion to help other people, but this wasn't always the case, right? So I want you to take, take us back to tell us your story, your testimony. Yeah. So I, I grew up, mentioned, uh, mentioned the town I grew up in, it's Coolidge, Arizona, um, small town, very culturally diverse town, uh, real low income area. Um, my family didn't necessarily fit into that. They've always been pretty, pretty successful and, and have worked hard and have done really well when it's come to their, their professional life. Um, a lot of kids didn't, didn't get to experience that. They, uh, a lot of kids that I knew, their kid, their parents sent them to school just to just to get them out of the house, so they didn't have to deal with them. Right. Um, I, I had a very loving childhood. Our parents gave us everything we needed and most of what we wanted. Um, but kind of being the the exception to to what was known in the community, we were my my brother and I, we were we were picked on, um, bullied. I was overweight my whole life. I'm, dealt with food addiction and, and things that out, outside of my drug addiction. Um, but it was, it, it was a, it was a rough childhood for sure. Um, outside of my home. Right. Um, I always did really well in school. Um, excelled in athletics. I played varsity baseball my, my entire high school life. Um, got the opportunity to play some college ball. Uh, awesome experience, but there were things from growing up and being bullied that that really led into some some poor patterns of behavior. Um, I was that shamed, like I said, I'm overweight my whole life, including from you know my my family, which they may not have realized they were doing it, but I mean there were some scars there, and we'd get together for family gatherings, and at ten years old, I was making two three adult size servings and um I mean, I'd, I'd get laughed at and they'd poke some fun at me and right. it, it, it was things that, that later on in life, I didn't realize that hurt at the time, but, but once examining, you know, going through your recovery process in 12 steps, you kind of look back and reflect on some of those things and see where some of your behavior was rooted. Right. Um, but 
to get away from being shamed out of that, it developed a, a pattern of lying and hiding things. And I sneak food into bedrooms and bathrooms and anywhere I could in order to, to avoid being ridiculed. Um, because they couldn't see my problem, obviously they couldn't mock me for it. Right. But after years of dealing with that, I became desensitized or at least I developed the ability to give the perception that I wasn't bothered by these things. But unfortunately my way of doing this was either to hurt people before they could hurt me or after I became hurt, I'd find a way to hurt them worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you can imagine, that, that behavior is extremely, extremely destructive. Um, fast forward to high school, I, I dropped a lot of weight, um, went on went on a meal plan, started playing football, and went through two and three a days all summer and, and dropped some weight. I worked hard. Um, my parents bought me a really cool car. I had a 96 Volkswagen Jetta that was decked out like the one that was in the uh, Fast and the Furious. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> yeah. Real cool car. Um, ended up da- dating a girl that was on the, t- on the cheer squad, which was like, wow, check this out. Um, that ended in heartbreak, and that just brought back this, you know, immediate feelings of, of rejection. And right. I remember just feeling, feeling destroyed from that. Um, and that again just caused a pattern of me me going into a place of hurting a lot of people. Um, if I was in a relationship with a girl and I felt something starting to go wrong, or I just perceived something starting to go wrong, I would hurt her way before she had an opportunity to hurt me. Um, no conflict resolution skills whatsoever. So if I decided I didn't want to have a relationship with a girl anymore, my way of handling that was. I'm going to go cheat on him with somebody and make sure that they find out, found, find out about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then find a way to make myself the victim. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so around that same time, teenage years, I also found that I was able to manipulate my parents' trust because they, they kept us very sheltered and figured, oh, my kids aren't, aren't getting involved in some of these things that, that would get them in trouble. Um, so I'd use that to my advantage and they'd sometimes catch me red-handed doing something. And I was able to make up some elaborate story that either one again, made me the victim of the situation or acquitted me of what I was doing altogether. Um, but then I also found that my mom would side with me against my dad in any situation. Right. Um, and that was another thing that I would, I would take advantage of if I knew that I was in trouble or needed something mom was who I would go to. Um, at 15, I started to, to hang out with a neighbor of mine. He was quite a bit older than me. Um, and I was hanging out with him one night and he asked me and a buddy if we ever tried something called G. I'm mm-hmm. like, nope, I have no idea what that is. I'm some sheltered kid that never leaves the house. Um, but he pitched it to me and as a drug that you smoked and it had no smell and it was out of your system in three days and it made you feel like Superman and no one would ever know. Um, so it seemed like a cool thing to do. And I accepted his invitation to use and unknowingly, uh, used meth for the first time at 15 years old. Right. Um, 
later that night we went to his dealer's house to pick up more because we were after or we were out and after a really long night um that included having his dealers pull a gun on us whenever we showed up i decided that uh maybe math just wasn't for me (laughs) (laughs) um so at 17 um kind of faced my my real test of adversity i don't know if you hear that we're dealing with a pretty gnarly storm here right now (laughs) Um, my plan was to graduate high school and go off and play college baseball um i hurt my back pretty bad when i was 17 i ruptured two discs um kind of hindered me pretty greatly on the baseball field i wasn't able to to sew up a couple scholarships that um i was pursuing um they just they didn't happen. Um, and I failed to make the, the junior college team that I tried out for. So I felt that my dreams were crushed. Um, right. I had started dating a girl that lived across the street from me. I knew her and her family a lot of my life. Um, her brothers actually bullied me pretty bad whenever I was growing up and, and going through school. Um, none of them really really graduated um but me being kind of in the position that i was we got along we we got along pretty well they accepted me for who i was they when uh when i'd face times of adversity or have an argument with my parents or something they'd kind of be there and coddle me and, and made me feel accepted um which was a different place than i had been most of my life so I kind of gravitated towards that. Um, unfortunately, that kind of blossomed into my my ten-year battle with cocaine addiction. One day I was walking over and um, a couple of the family members were out using in the, the driveway. And they asked me if I wanted to, to use coke. Then um, I initially declined, but after a little bit of mockery and not too much peer pressure because I wanted to be accepted by everybody. I decided to use, um, and it just, it, like I said, that, that blossomed into my, my 10 plus year battle with addiction. Um, my girlfriend that I had, I, I went right inside and told her, Hey, here's what I did. And she wasn't happy, but she accepted it. Um, yeah, it, it was, it, it was a tough time, but after, after two plus years of um, addiction blossoming in my life and me cheating on that girl several times, she got sick of my stuff and left me. Yeah. Um, ended up finding her in my apartment with my best friend. Um, around that same time, my relationships with my, my relationship with my parents was also deteriorating. I was working part time. I maxed out all my credit cards. Um, didn't nearly have enough money to feed my hundred plus dollar a day drug habit um so the answer to that was i started stealing from my parents right right to support my addiction and when they found out about that my dad threw me out of the house in a not so peaceful way um and i didn't really have anybody to turn to um i was that was just broken damaged and to me being in the place that i was mentally um I was only ever going to be used and discarded once whoever it was in my life found out that I was broken and 
Yeah. And had all these addictions. What what were um during this process, what were some of like the the extreme lows? So you talk about a ten year battle with with cocaine addiction. Like what were some some of the lows during this this ten year period that kind of felt really, really painful? Um, I mean, I'd say the lowest point was losing losing my relationship with my dad for for years. Yeah. Um I mean it was he he was my best friend. He was my baseball coach. He was <laughs> I mean, everything that the dad should should be. Um but I think that whether it had been reality or perception, it just always came across with him that you did nothing to tarnish your name or your reputation. So you never let anybody see weakness or flaw in you. Right. Um, and, you know, down the road, that really played a huge part in, in this pattern of, of lying and um, just wearing these masks that I have worn my whole life. And by the grace of God alone, that was able to be broken. And, and I was able to come to this place of humility and realize the broken person that I was. Um, but that, how, how did, how did that start out? Like, so you, you went through this addiction, you're going through, you know, a lot of lone moments, which I'm sure only feels the addiction because you're depressed. Right. Yeah. What was the, the moment where like maybe something sparked in you or a small bit of change began to happen or was it drastic? Like, how did that happen? So 2007, my relationship with my current wife began. Um, 2009, we had our son together. Um, and this is still an addiction? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, this was right in the, right in the heat of it. Um, I was completely unprepared for, for fatherhood, had no idea what it meant to be a husband. Um, but again, my son came, we got married. Um, I was still doing all those destructive things that I had done over my whole life, addiction, infidelity, um, all of it. And that continued for years. And there were several times we discussed divorce and we had separated and gotten back together and just had this really unhealthy pattern in, in our relationship as well. Um, fast forward, August, 2015, um, she had had enough we were planning on getting divorced um i had left the house and been in north dakota for a year working up in the oil fields um she found out that i was cheating on her again um and she had had enough um so august 2015 i go i come home from north dakota and go up to my men's retreat with my church uh didn't want to be there at all felt completely spiritually dead again talk about one of those masks that was a mask of being there around the guys I had been going to church with for a couple of years. Um, but something in one of the messages hit me and I still can't put my finger on what it was, but I just felt God say, be alone with me. You need to be, come be alone with me. So I took off on this hike up this mountain behind our camp and I sat up there and I just cried out to him to, to take this addiction from me. I, I, I didn't want this anymore. Um, 
And he answered it in only a way that, that he could. Um, I mean, it wasn't immediate that week. I came home that Sunday night and went straight to my dealer's house and, yeah. and bought and used that night. Um, <clears throat> but the next weekend, everything came, everything came crashing down. Um, I had used all weekend long and had been wrestling with God all weekend. Like I, I asked you to take this from me. Why, why am I still here? Right. Seeking that is the gratification that we all seek so much. Um, and being upset with him when he doesn't give it to us, but I had used all weekend long and I had went that Sunday morning back to my house. I don't even remember what I went there for, but I was there and my wife told me, let's just forget all this and you come home. And I couldn't, I felt way too much shame and guilt for everything I had been done. I was at the house high because I had been using all weekend long. Um, and I just couldn't do it. And she was telling me to go get my stuff and come back and we'd forget about all of it. And, and inside me, I knew nothing was going to change. Um, again, I was, I was sitting there in front of her high. So I made up an excuse and said, you know what? There's, there's a lot of emotion going right now. I still remember this conversation, which is really strange. Um, there's a lot of emotion going right now. Let's take a night to think about it. And we'll, we'll talk some more tomorrow. Um, I didn't have any intention on talking with her the next day. I left the house and went back to my dealer's house and spent every penny that I had in the bank um, on as much cocaine as I could buy and said, I'm going to go till I either don't have a way to get anymore or my heart stops. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not, I'm not putting my family through this anymore. They, they'd all be better off without me. Right. Um, I remember just, Binge using through, through that whole day and into the night. And I remember it was right around 2.30 in the morning. I just, I felt this peace come over me. And I didn't feel high anymore. I just felt like I wanted to go to sleep. And to myself, I thought, okay, this is it. Like, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm not going to wake up again. This is just a feeling I had never felt. Um, and I remember, I remember falling asleep. Well, the next thing that I remember was just around 7 AM, I wake up and my wife is standing over the top of me holding the bag of drugs that I didn't finish because I blacked out essentially. And at that point, there was no way to... <laughs> There was no way to get out of it. Um, she was there. She took off. She took the kid. She was there because she was bringing my kids. I was supposed to take them to school. Um, she took off with the kids. She called my mom. I was staying at my parents' house at the time. Called my mom and let her know what was going on. Um, she, my wife took the kids to school and then she ended up coming back. And we sat there for a couple hours talking, um, going through the whole whole process, getting defensive. Um, this is all your fault. 
I'm broken, blah, 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 try, trying to play the victim, and she just wasn't having it. Um, finally, I just broke down, and I was sitting there crying, and God used her in that moment to, to speak directly to me, and she came over to me, and she knelt down in front of me, and she just grabbed me by the hand, and she said, you have no idea how much I love you. And if you want to get rid of this, if you, if you want to change, I'm here with you every step of the way, but you need to tell me right now, if you want to change, I'm here. If not, I've got to go and you're on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah that's uh, pretty close to rock bottom ultimatum there. It's like <laughs> the forks in the road and it's like, you know, the choice has to be made. So at this point, the police had been there as well. Um, again, being from a small town, one of the officers that was there was my sister's ex-boyfriend. And the other one was a guy that I've known since I was in diapers. Um, and again, just, just God's, God's presence being there in all of this and his plan playing out. They didn't haul me off to jail that day. The only thing that I felt that I wanted to do was get out to my church and talk to my pastors. And they let me do that. Um, my wife went out there with me at the time. I had been going to church at my, my home church, which is, is Life Point Church here in Santan Valley. Um, and she had grown up Catholic and was going to a Catholic church across the street. Um, so we get in the car and we drive to my church and she called my pastors and said, Hey, we, we've, we've got a crisis situation. Like we need you guys. So we go out and we sit in the office and they pretty much give me the same message that she did. Like you've been essentially been lying to us for the last couple of years because nobody knew, nobody here knew that you've been going through these struggles. Um, we've come alongside you and walked, walked through this with you. Um, and now you need to be real with us too. Like you're, we're, we're going to sit here and you're going to come clean with all of this in front of us, in front of your wife and in front of God, or else the church can't be behind you because you're living a life of sin and dishonesty. Right. Right. And I mean, it, I, I literally sat in the office with them for two plus hours confessing and repenting of everything that I could remember having done over that two or over that 10 year stretch. Um, and that's, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say, I don't think, but I mean, there, there's just so much power in repentance. And yeah. be, ha having a truly repentant heart and spirit because yeah. from that moment tim i i can testify that there has not been a single moment where i've desired to use drugs or seek attention from another woman um it in that moment when god god, god commands us in scripture confess your sins to each other so you can pray for each other and be healed and that's exactly what happened in that moment and now it's been again nearly four and a half years of sobriety um my wife and i our marriage has been completely restored we just 
celebrated our, I believe, eighth year of marriage, ninth year of marriage. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's amazing too, is this, um, is the accountability uh, factor because a lot of people don't have this, you know, they have uh, maybe wishy-washy friends or maybe even a wishy-washy church. I don't know where this yeah. kind of stuff can't be spoken and talked about and there's no accountability, but you had these, these people that loved you and were able to kind of draw a line in the sand. It's like, if you're, you know, this relationship to continue with us, this church, so a relationship to continue with your wife, it's time to man up, yeah. own your stuff. And it's like, yeah. it's missing in the world today a lot. Yeah. It's powerful. And that, that really was it. I mean, it, and it didn't end there. They told me that, that part of the condition of this was, and again, just seeing God's timing play out in, in my life and in my recovery process, a couple of weeks after that celebrate recovery was getting started at our church. And it was the first time that that ministry had been present in our church in years. And they said, it wasn't an ask. They said, you're going to go <laughs> You're gonna be there every week. Um, and from day one, walking in the doors of that ministry, I knew that that's, that's where I was supposed to be. Right. Um, I could walk in, I could talk about my flaws, free from judgment. My brothers that were there with me would, would pray for me. Um, my wife attended with me just as a supportive partner to know like what I was working through. Um, and I say it to this day that my biggest victory through my recovery process has been seeing her recovery process as part of going through celebrate recovery with me. Um, because she had a lot of stuff happen to her growing up, um, that one day she's going to record her testimony and it's going to impact millions of people. Um, but she has an incredible recovery story of her own that she worked through CR. And then she began attending church with me at life point. And a couple of months after she started attending life point, she made the choice to be baptized in our church rather than um, attend, attending and, and sticking to the, uh, the Catholic practices. Right. Um, and that was it, that was incredible to see her give her life to Christ and and secure what, her place. What's amazing, like, is this domino effect? So, the, just because you took responsibility, because you decided to own up and be honest and walk in a life of truth, it set in this this domino effect of of the decisions that that are playing out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this this wouldn't have happened without this, without this, without this. And it's that that fork in the road and decision that's just snowballs into all this positivity that you got going on. It's it's amazing. I'll, I'll tell you what, I mean, we can we can be accountable to one another as men. But I encourage any man that's dealing with something having to do with their marriage that you need to be 100% transparent in every aspect of your life with your spouse and ask them to hold you accountable as well. Because, I mean, obviously going through the recovery, the addiction recovery portion of, of 
my story um, was one thing, but we had infidelity deeply rooted from my side in our marriage. Um, and it was, I, I went through elaborate steps to, to cover a lot of this up. I mean, there were people who were named different things in my phone. And um, I mean, just this whole, whole big web that I had weaved. Um, and the biggest step that I think we took in our marriage that really flipped the switch and changed the direction of things was when I sat down with her and started untangling that web with her and said, here's everything. And there was no way that we were going to recover as a married couple without that happening. Yeah. Without breaking it down to a complete bare foundation and saying, look, here's everything that happened. Are we still in this together? Right. And then there was a, I remember one of the toughest days I had ran out to the grocery store to grab something. And one of those girls that I had been talking to called me as I was pulling into the grocery store parking lot. I was alone. She called me from a block number. Um, and right in that moment, I made a choice and I told her, look, I'm married. I've been married for X amount of years. I've lied to you. I'm committed to my marriage. And this can be the absolute last conversation that we have. I hung up the phone that could have ended there. My wife would have never had to know anything about that conversation happening. And this is still fresh when band-aids are still just getting ripped off. Like I knew that this was going to be a hard conversation to have. But I walked in the house, put the groceries down. I grabbed her from the kitchen, walked in the office away from the kids. And I said, Hey, here's the look at my phone. Here's a call that came in. Here's who it was from. You can see the conversation lasted a minute and 36 seconds. I told her this, that we can't talk anymore. And I'm showing you this because this is the commitment that I made to you to be honest with you, regardless of how hard it was going to be or what the circumstances may be. Yeah. And that was hard for her. But a couple days later, she came back and she said, you know, she, she said that was really hard, but I'm so thankful that you did it because yeah. it shows me that you're really in this thing. Yeah. And not, man, I had the same scenario happen. You know, I quit math and then three weeks later, I find myself in uh, a friend's house and wrong place, wrong time and standing in the circle and, and, and it's coming to me. and you know, it was, it was immediately I went into this prayer mode of like, I don't know how I got here, but please help. You know what yeah. I mean? And it comes to my term and I pass it to the other person. You know how awkward that is, right? Mm -hmm. you're standing in a, a circle, you grab it and you pass it to the other person. And you're like, no, I'm good. Yeah. And uh, there was something solidified when I left the house. It was like, well, I learned not to put myself in that position anymore, but then it solidified, <laughs> <laughs> solidified my commitment to, um, to exactly what you're talking about, because it's not commitment until the rubber meets the road and you're tested. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's freaking awesome. Hey, so, um, what would you tell somebody who's just starting out this journey? Um, you know, some of the pitfalls, some advice, whatever it is, they just started out this recovery journey. They're beginning the process. Um, what, what advice would you give them? 
I would say the biggest piece of advice that I could give anyone is just rip off the Band-Aid. Um, don't go into this halfway because you, re- you really get what you put in to your, to your recovery. Um, I, actually, you know what? I would say that second. First is your walk with God needs to be your 100% focus in your recovery. If you're doing it for your marriage, if you're, if you're trying to get sober for your kids, if you're trying to get sober to keep your job, those are foundations of sinking sand. God is your 100% rock solid foundation. Enter into this with him. Listen for him to guide you through this. If he can, if he asks you to do something, you do it. Um, just, you know, just, just like we talked about your, your situation right there, you're, I mean, I don't, I don't know how far along you were in your recovery process when that, when that situation took place, when you're standing in that circle. It was three weeks, brother. I was like fresh. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even know how I got there. Like, well, I know how I got there. A uh, friend borrowed my bike and I went back to retrieve it and I got, you know, stuck in this circle, but uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, but much like you said, it's, it, it's accountability and the way that you gain accountability is by sharing your struggles with other believers, other men who are, who are going through similar struggles um, and, and being there for one another. I, I couldn't have gotten through any of this without, without my brothers and celebrate recovery, uh, my pastors at my church, the, the other men that God's placed in my life along the way. So yeah don't shy away from it yeah if you're uh listening to this podcast and you just started out this journey i just want to reiterate um what we're talking about here today and that's going all in with god and nothing began to change in my life until i begin to go all in and that's uh, understanding that he went all in for me and then knowing Mm -hmm. that commitment that he went through and that uh the suffering and the pain and everything that happened for me to be able to even come to him and then making a conscious decision, you know what, in this life, I'm just going to go all in 100%. I'm going to commit. And then that means being honest, like a brother talked about. There's, there's so much stuff that, that we face here. And addictions always starts, or coming out of addiction recovery always starts with being honest. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. These are the consequences that are happening to me. This is the effect of my life. And being willing to say, you know what, I'm a liar. I've been lying. I've been lying about everything. And then coming to understand um, a community and coming into a, a brotherhood, a church, a community that, um, that builds you up, supports you, encourage you in this new walk. So that is our word for today. Brother, I thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. This has been really epic. Yeah, I appreciate the the uh, opportunity to be on here with you, Tim. It's great, great to uh, get to talk with you a little bit outside of the uh, Facebook messages. And awesome, brother! I look forward to seeing your ministry grow. And hey, where can definitely uh, praying over it? Where can people connect with you at? Uh, so we got Facebook page. Uh, obviously, you know my, my personal page, Cody Houck, and then uh, the nonprofit page is just getting started. Addicted to Alive. 
Uh, you can also find that same tag on Instagram. Instagram. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much.